0: Hello and welcome to the Best Podcast. Today we have a slightly different teacher to the usual. We have one of our best graduates, Matt or Matthew. Either
1: either way, yeah.
0: (laughs) Either. Who has been uh, an enthusiast of Best for a while and definitely a very keen student. Yeah. Really, uh, I think blossoming into a vocal nerd which is great. So we're going to find out a little bit more about Matt and have a discussion about his journey so far and find out if there's anything that uh, I can do to help him on his way. So welcome Matt.
1: Hi I feel very welcome and I just want to quickly say thank you so much for having me on. Uh, It's indeed a pleasure and an honour to be involved with you guys at BAST and, uh, and everything that you guys have done over the past sort of six months for me.
0: Great. Well, the thing is that Best is here for people like you. I think it's mm. great for us to be talking to the more seasoned people, but actually at the end of the day, Best is really about the... Us.
1: The, <laughs> the, the, the juniors.
0: <laughs> the developing teachers. That's how yeah. I like to think of you. Because I was there. All of us were there. Yeah. And uh, we all came, um, you know, along that journey and we all worked uh you know the hours etc but we also did the studies and we had all had mentors and people that helped us Mm. along you know Mm. the shoulders of others as as they say so i'd love to talk a little bit about your journey before you decided to do teaching so what uh, was your experience Mm. before that
1: well how far back do we want to go do you want to go to when i started singing or (laughs) i mean i i've always music and singing always been part of who i am from it already started um, with choirs at age six when I got um, a choral scholarship to join the New College Choir in Oxford. So my hometown is in Oxford. I only recently moved to London, um, and that was a very intensive introduction in singing. It was you know seventeen hours a week, um, you know mass five or six uh, times a week. So that was that was a song, uh, even song, sort of every evening, and that was yeah, that was a really good introduction. It really. Uh, Focused a lot of different disciplines, but obviously on a more classical route uh into music, and sort of from there, I did that for uh, six years until I was thirteen, and then I moved more into performing arts, and that was more sort of uh, theater and you know musical theater and stuff like that. And then I went on to university and I studied music there, which was mainly based around singing and uh, I did bits of romantic and opera music there. So that was again a lot of a lot of teachers who were of the classical background. I had one really good teacher in the middle though, um, called Leanne Poiser, who, uh who is now teaching at uh, the school that I went to. She's um, she's a, you know a really good all round coach, and I think it, it was sort of I, mean, I won't jump the gun, but it was part of of that experience with her that later on in life made me have this revelation that I wanted to be a vocal coach. And then sort of in between then, I did. I did my uni thing and got my degree um, and was in a band at university. And that's when I got into this other side of what I do, which I'll explain, which is the more music production and and songwriting and stuff like that. And I did that at university and that led to me doing a master's programme in music production. So I went from this singer who wanted to just be about singing to also this sort of uh, behind the scenes person who also wanted to be involved in Making the music and um, and you know that, the other side of the artistic journey as well as just the performing so yeah then I then I moved to London um, like I said a couple of years ago, and I went down this working and recording studios route, and I did that for you know just over a year year and a half or something, and I realized that it wasn't everything that I was about there was there was a missing aspect to it. So I kind of had this uh, reality check, as they say, <laughs> um, where I just really evaluated what what it was that I, you know, what, what was at the heart of everything that I really enjoyed doing, I guess they call it your passion. And obviously part of that was singing. And when I reflect back on the experience now of working in the studios, a lot of what I was doing was vocal production and really working with singers on getting the best sound out of them. So sometimes it wasn't about the recording process, it was about this, you know, getting them into that comfortable headspace uh, because I'm sure, you know, any sound engineer will tell you that half the battle with artists is getting them in that really expressive place and not just, you know, singing technically because it's a lot to get over, um, you know, a recording. So, yeah, I I had this reality check. It was about this time that I started listening to the Naked Vocalist podcast as well, um, which was... Which is a bit of a another revelation. Just listening to uh, those two babbling on all the time and bringing in guests, and I think it just opened me up to this world that I didn't really know existed. I mean, I met one professional vocal coach whilst I was working in studios, and that was uh, Cece Sammy, um, who's one of these X Factor um, vocal coaches, and you know she's doing a lot a lot of work now with her entertainment company. So I saw her, and I really liked her personality. Um, and we really clicked, but then it was kind of a year later that I made this transition out of studio life and into the coaching realm. That I realized actually I have this nurturing and wanting to develop and teaching capacity part of what I do. So then I thought, I mean, it was kind of my dad's idea. It was weird. He said, you know what? I just had a brainwave. I think you're a vocal coach and my parents aren't really that musical. So I was a bit kind of taken back by the thought of this. And at first I was like, no, nah, not sure I'm that. I mean, I do all this recording stuff now, and then the more I thought about it, the more it really struck a chord with me. And and then you know, I just got into it really. And that was about a, a year and a half ago. So I'd been doing bits and bobs of teaching, but not really just like, like hey, vocal coaching and, and so on. So yeah, that was it.
0: So how did you hear about BAST then? About the training course?
1: Um BAST was um something i started to hear about about 6 months ago um and part well part i i, I started to research because you get i don't know you get to this point i think where you're a alone coach and you feel like you really want to start improving on your skills and not just resting on stuff that you've just read you kind of really want that interaction with you know a mentor like figure or an institution like yourself so i did my research into a few of them um and um there's actually steve giles i had a, a a little video chat with him, and he recommended you guys over all the other ones that I'd looked at. And he said, like, you know, just send them out an email. And then I got in touch with Claire and yourself. And um, before I know, I was on your Facebook page, going full nerd, asking loads of questions, and, and getting involved because I think that's just who I am. I just like chatting with people and sussing out what's what. And you, I think that's it. You guys just really came across as that sort of personable um place where loads of coaches hang out and have discussions and talk and just give a bit of infrastructure to what you're doing when you know you're out there trying to hack your own business and your own career so that's why that's how i found you guys really
0: and how did the course help or did it help
1: yeah the course definitely helped the help what there were points which i obviously knew nothing about um, I've had a lot of vocal coaches. I mean, even from when I started, when I was six, we had one in the choir as well as the choir master who we were doing. You know, so I've had, I've always had coaches and I feel like I've kind of seen, without knowing it, because I've only just tapped into it now, but without knowing it, I think I'd seen the various stages of um, uh, research behind, you know, and training courses like the speech level singing. I think my first coach was of that background and a bit of Alexander technique as well um but with you guys i think it just it showed this more holistic approach to everything it, g- it gives you pockets of information as well as stuff that's really up to date which makes you feel like you're really studying the right thing and um and that you're yeah you're at cutting edge because that's what you're going to be providing for your students is really you know the things that are well researched that are approved um and led by somebody, you know, um, I did mine with Kaya, who was was a really brilliant instructor. And I think it's doing, and the group environment as well really helps. So I think specific bits of information here and there, but it was really just that sort of group learning, kind of like being back in a seminar or something like that. It's just really good to bounce ideas off people as well. I think, yeah, that was the best bit, I think, was when you have your own situations and you can voice them. And then you can also learn at the same time the practical things that are going to help you, you know, overcome your own teaching obstacles and, and gaps in knowledge. Mm.
0: What was the biggest obstacle for you then as a new teacher?
1: As a new teacher, mm. so before BAST, yeah. um, confidence, I think. And I, I, there's quite a unique way I had of, of getting over that confidence, which is um, I held sort of a presentation workshop launch um because obviously people had started to know me for the more production side of things so i invited quite a few of my connections and 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 friends and even some potential clients and i just said i just laid it out on the table and was just like this is you know what my life has been without giving too much of a life story i did the whole like this is what my life has been you know i've i've worked in other countries recording and that was when i got to this point where i realized that artist development and in, in aspects of uh, vocal coaching are what really chime with me and these are the things that I can do and offer so I really just up front just invited the people to me did my, my little pitch thing or whatever you want to call it um, and I, I think but there was, there was definitely I remember I was absolutely shooting a brick beforehand because I don't know it just felt like such a, a big like you know I wanted to get it right obviously because it's quite a big thing to want to wanna change. But I actually think it's more a synergy of what I do now. So I still, I, you know, I'm, I've got my own business now with Music Alignment, which I set up last year. And that offers, you know, a whole range of different packages and offers to independent artists looking to upgrade their aspects of their music or aspects of their business and strategy. Um, so, yeah, I think that obstacle was confidence and really being assertive and being like right this is it and and committing to it
0: as a teacher
1: as a teacher yeah as a teacher and and then getting the clients obviously that's an obstacle but um i've always i don't know i think i've always been quite good at finding clients and 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 putting lots of you know irons in the fire when it gets to marketing and and looking for stuff so that's never been too much of a problem yet fingers crossed Mm. um I guess I'm not seasoned enough to have a, you know, (laughs) I've had a downward spiral.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There's so many things I want to kind of explore Mm. a little bit further actually, Matt. Yeah. One of the first ones is actually your personal experience going Mm. from that transition from boy, were you boy soprano?
2: Yeah, treble.
0: Yeah. And what happened during um, pubescence? Yeah. Were you able to get through, were you guided through, or did you have to figure it out yourself?
1: I, I I had a pretty good experience, I think, because I know that for a lot of choir boys, as as they're known, um, it can be it can be a difficult transition when you've been used to having this, you know, athletic voice. My voice broke quite gradually, so I, I was one of the first choristers to actually. It was it was a weird staging. I went to like an alto for about three months and the The choir master wanted to keep me on because my voice broke earlier, about you know just before thirteen, so sort of twelve, thirteen. But it wasn't like a, overnight, sort of. Where is my voice? I, you know, it it sort of gradually went down. So I was you know an alto at first, and I and I got to sing with the men in the back of the choir, which is a different experience, and you know a bit of mentoring there on your voice and your new register, as it were. And then I slipped down to tenor, and then I sort of stayed in this sort of high baritone tenor state for quite a while um but i i when i moved school i went to obviously this more performing arts school and they had leanne was a really good teacher and that was when i really started to mix the different styles that i could approach you know musical theater and jazz and still bits of classical and even stuff like elvis presley and the rock and roll sort of stuff so I think at that point, I really did have good guidance, um, mainly from a teacher that really believed in me um, and, and yeah, just was, had the right level of encouragement to, and, and the know-how to know which songs to choose. She had an excellent overall knowledge of repertoire, which I think meant that I could quite easily sing lots of different songs. You know, she had a real awareness of where my, my register was and, and my voice. So I think that was really good. That was really good.
0: Were there any particular exercises that you did that helped you through the transition? Or?
1: Oh, God, that's a question. I think I don't remember, to be honest, because it was a while ago. But I mean, all, we were doing lots of the, the standard stuff. And I think at that point, it was, I really, when you're a treble, you kind of have this amazing voice and you're not really aware how, how blessed a sound it is. And then when you come out of that, you have to really learn how to support your voice and control it. So there was lots of um, breathing and, and body awareness exercises that I was doing, Um, you know, which some of them are still part of my practice today. And and even what I coach, you know, the fundamentals of of breathing, even in the bass course, it's very like, you know, the power source filter, um, you know, it's all about the power to begin with. And then from there, you've got that good solid foundation. So and that's what I started to learn at, at this transition was a lot about how to support and control the voice through breathing exercises and techniques. Mm. And just building that awareness, because when you're 14 to 15, I mean, you're not highly self-aware. So um I think that it all seemed a bit woo-woo at the time, but actually, you know, it's, it's stayed with me. So. Mm.
0: so how would you advise, having been through it and um experienced it yourself, how would you advise... A teacher uh, to work with a adolescent boy who's already been singing for some time, and then going into this transition.
1: I think. I think always with young students, it's all about um, finding their enthusiasm, because that's going to drive and determine what they're going to learn. So, I think without even getting into which exercise or or what, this and that. I think it's about learning, seeing what material they really want to cover, what songs they want to look at, who's inspiring them, where they want to end up. I think because that's that really pivotal time where you start to have role models and you start to really look up to various singers. And and if you can, you know, there comes a challenge with that, though, because there are sometimes things that are not really realistic that they can achieve with their voice at this point. Um, especially if it's like a quite a low husky singer who might have needed to smoke 20 cigarettes a day or whatever to get that quality of voice. So yeah, I think it's just really getting to know them and making them feel special. Um, Especially if they've been uh, in choirs where they've been part of this homogenized unit of singers and now they're sort of just training as an individual. I think trying to build that personal relationship of what really gets them going. I think that's what I'd advise really. Great.
0: Yeah. So, when you uh, started doing more production, mm. and you, you already said that obviously there's the emotional and um, sort of the getting the, the singer to relax and be able to. Yeah. To themselves. What other things do you notice about singers that they commonly do wrong uh, or have challenges with when they go into the
2: studio? Mm,
1: that's a good question um my first thought I don't know why lands on practice it always I always really struck me when singers would come in or artists or you know recording people who ever wanted to come and record mainly the people who were just the singers and are not really involved in them in the musical aspect singing is this quite innate thing and I think sometimes they don't realize that actually you need to be you need to be so well rehearsed and it just needs to be so automatic that when you get in there, you're actually really getting into the song. I think, and that was the hardest battle was, is if they hadn't practiced enough and they were doing some things that were out of pitch or not in time, it would start to affect the emotional capacity of their song and, and that performance. So uh, that's, that's what I'd say is, I mean, there's always more practice to be done. I think it's like, Give it a bash at recording it yourself. I mean, studios are expensive places and, you know, getting production teams involved are are not cheap, especially if you're an independent starting out artist. So, you know, there's a lot that you can do yourself and explore yourself. I mean, it's rubbish nowadays when singers say, oh, I'm not very technically able because actually it's so simple to just plug a microphone into a laptop um, and just experiment with, with really basic stuff so that when you paying for that premium time you get in there and it's just you're just ready to go and you're ready to listen and and be part of that learning process rather than be so stuck in yourself that you kind of fail to get results after two hours
0: Mm. so preparations yeah Mm. so what now that you've uh, had some education got a little bit better Mm. uh, at understanding how to work with the voice and
2: teach Mm -hmm.
0: What are the challenges that you're finding now as you're working with singers?
1: The thing that sometimes, I don't quite know how to put this into words, but it's all about trying to get to the, the, the root of the problem quickly. I've, that's still a bit of a challenge with some people. And I, you know, I don't know if it's something for me to blame or if it's something about the relationship or if it's about the individual it's probably about the understand the working relationship i think sometimes you know there might be some sessions where someone will book in one thing with you because they're going on tour and they want to learn you know it's like almost like vocal consultancy mm-hmm. um but it's the real long term people i think sometimes it's always always setting those short term milestones being able to come back to them reflect on how much improvement you've made um i think that's that's a difficult thing, which is just really being able to anchor those milestones of improvement and where they're going to, you know, where they're going to work next. I think that sort of thing.
2: Mm.
1: Cause sometimes it can just happen in a session and, and it's almost like a magical thing. Like you'll, you'll go through different exercises or maybe different ways of visualizing something um, or you'll get them to lie down. On the sofa and sing something, and then it'll release a bit of tension in their back that they didn't know they had. Um, and that's great, but it, it, you almost can't put your finger on that. So, if there's some way I could learn how to sort of take just a general diagnostics better and then find out where that root is. I mean, I think it's great when, you know, that, that recent workshop um, we went to with Robin De Haas, and he's just like, within like three seconds of having his hand on your back or whatever, he's just like, And I guess that does come with practice, and maybe that's just a frustrating thing. Mm -hmm. Um, um, uh, So, yeah, I I would say that. I can't really think of any others at the moment, which makes me sound like I'm doing really well. There definitely are others. Um, I think. Yeah, yeah.
0: one of the things that I would say is, as reassurance, is that it does Mm -hmm. take time. And Mm -hmm. my overall vision with with BEST is actually that we're there for the first three years of Mm -hmm. a singing teacher's initial journey, yeah. because three, it probably takes about three years to get to a place where you feel really confident that you mm. can get anything that comes in through the studio door. Mm. So I think understanding that actually it's a process of, and mm. it's repetition and it's it's experience. And obviously the more singers you see, the yeah. more experience you'll get, yeah. quicker you'll start to be able to recognise and you'll start to connect the dots and see... Yeah. Different categories, and you know, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah,
0: figure out, oh, yeah, that's similar to that person, or relation. Yeah. Um, and it's generally about three years, and that's something that I've experienced. And a lot of my other teacher friends sort of felt like three years was quite right, more. Uh, and that's teaching full time, so mm. you know, teaching as much as you can. Mm. Probably oh, will take longer if you're only doing a few students a week.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I always recommend to beginner teachers to be teaching as much as possible, even mm-hmm. free stuff, just mm-hmm. to get that experience, to speed up your diagnostics, to get as many different experiences as possible. Because mm-hmm. I mean, even now, occasionally someone will walk in, I'll go, oh. I've never had to deal with that. But I've got a lot more tools now, reference points, whereas in the beginning it would really flummox me because it was just so out of my usual box of tricks. Mm. So, yeah, I think time and trusting that actually it's a process. Um, You don't have to be... For the most part, most singers, if you're if they're feeling some progress in their lesson, even if it's just one thing, that's enough. You don't have to go in and make them a hundred percent. And in fact you never will, that's the reality.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, I feel like my job as as a singing teacher is to become redundant. you know that I teach the student enough that they can go away and figure a lot of this stuff out for themselves and then maybe just pop back periodically for a check in or if new things occur um, or new challenges mm-hmm. in, or situations, then they might want to come back again. but for the most part my my role I think is that of becoming redundant
1: mm. yeah. It's sort of giving them the the power and the knowledge to to move on and and fly. (laughs) Exactly.
2: And and
0: that's another analogy. So, so far, what would you say have been some pivotal things for you teaching-wise in your Mm.
1: teaching
2: experience? I'm sure there's been. Um,
1: I think, Yeah. um, yeah, one pivotal point Obviously, when I started, was I I signed up with um, an agency in London called Quintessential Education. They had, you know, they have lots of different types of teachers and coaches and tutors and all sorts signed up to their uh, agency. And I think it was pivotal for me actually having somebody source me clients at first, just because it 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 made me really get that um, professional interaction between what, how you're trying to organize and set about and and set the boundaries of what you're doing and what you're not doing. I think that was a bit of a, a learning curve, especially as I hadn't really overly formalized the, the teaching that I'd done so far. And that made me really put on my business cap and think about, okay, what sort of people do I want to teach? What sort of ages are they? What, what things are they interested in? Um, because there's There's lots of singers out there, but there's not always going to be the singer that fits with you as a coach, um, and neither are you going to necessarily serve them the best. So I think that level of maturity about understanding which people you're actually going to be able to improve and which people you're not um, that that was a, a pivotal realization and and then also knowing with some people what they're you know the the time span you're going to work with them, or not the sell by date, but the how how long do you think you're going to need to work with them to get them to a point where that they feel success, and then and then also knowing like are they going to want to take it past that point? What you know, once they've got to that point, are they just going to be happy being themselves? You know, and and if part of you know part of um, working with that agency was not all just vocal coaching you know, bits of you know piano tuition and bits of um, guitar work and sometimes a marriage of, of, of singing and piano and so on um, which i feel is great because it's like a very creative space where they're sort of you know learning these transferable things and oh what's that scale you're playing the piano why are you doing that because that's a really important question like, why do we do scales what what do they achieve um you know is it about muscle memory is it about and and i think that being able to almost teach them how to what they're being taught that was another revelation as well just really And I think the Bass course really amplified that. It's this understanding that it's a two-way learning street. And if you're able to teach them why you're teaching stuff, sometimes it's not the right time to do that because it's a bit boring. And they just want to get on with the day and do their pieces. But when those natural, you know, inquisitive moments come up, I think it's a real, you know, opportunity for you to be able to solidify what you know and then also get them on the same page as you so that they're not reluctant to be able to do some exercise because they think it might sound weird or something like that
0: Uh, so you're talking earlier about the marketing side of things what Mm. marketing have you been doing already and what what have been your challenges there
1: um so like i said that first thing was about confidence and getting yourself out there wherever out there is so there's obviously the physical form of you being out there and there's the virtual form of you being out there um if if my advice to any start out coach would would be to stage some sort of event or workshop because it's actually a relatively easy thing to do obviously getting people to show up is sometimes not that easy but i mean having a vocal coach you really want to suss them out so if you can meet if you can do this sort of meet and greet experience where you do a couple of exercises and you just lay out basically what you're doing and what you're offering i think people want to know obviously what's in it for them so you need to really clearly lay out what your offerings are you know if you've got any um, packages any programs um and also just to do uh what have your like checklist diagnostics before you sign them up so that you don't get so far down the line that actually you realize maybe that wasn't meant to be so with marketing stuff i'd say um a big hurdle as well was getting my virtual presence out there, which was building a Facebook page, and uh, you know, get, getting a news uh, a newsletter together with a mailing list, because that's obviously one of the only things that you own at the end of the day. If you own people's emails, that's the information that you have. It's not down to any algorithm that Facebook or Instagram has and will change. So. Because you never know, one day it might not be about followers, it might be about views, or it might be about likes, or I mean, email is just a tangible, you know, straightforward relationship you have with that potential new customer, as it were. Um I think, I think it's really important to train and even search out, you know, some personal development and, and business-minded books out there. There's a lot on entrepreneurialism at the moment and how to set yourself up as, as a business. We do live in the age of the entrepreneur, which is great for vocal coaches because you have, to, you have to be like that. You have to have hustle as well as charm, as well as knowledge, as well as a good voice. I mean, really, you have to be the full package, don't you? And no one knows it. <laughs> um, so that getting the, the, the people engaged with what you're doing, I think that's the most important thing, whether that's in a physical sense or in a virtual sense knowing what you have to offer, where you're different, where your niche is, where, you know, if you're just a vocal coach, well, there's a million of just vocal coaches, but are you a vocal coach that specializes in this type of singing with this? Because as they, you know, as the competition grows in the marketplace, especially in, in um, you know, uh, music professionals, there's there's a lot more of them nowadays, especially freelancers and so on. It's really knowing about what your niche is and being able to just, in a short space of time, be able to convince that person of what you do, what you know, and you know what's on offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, getting a website together was really important, I think, especially as what I offer is a little bit more than just vocal coaching. You know, there's aspects of you know in the arts development. There's aspects of the production, and even how they market themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, And also aligning them up with other potential team members to take their careers further forward. So for me, I really needed a website because I, if I tried to have a discussion about what arts development is to an artist, it's a bit of a dizzying thing. So you kind of want to have that initial meeting, tell them a bit about it, and then give them a place, or you know, refer them onto a place where they can see more. So the and always I've had is a way of generating leads of doing workshops. So After I did that presentation, I was like, you know what? This is a lot of fun. And I don't do a lot of um, uh, vocal performance, you know, on stage. You know, it's something I'd like to get more into, but I I still feel like I've got so much other stuff to do that I'll wait. There'll be a natural time for that. But so for me, getting out there and doing a workshop is that you get, you get that same rush as a a performance and that same level of, of, and if, if anything, you're actually really engaging with the audience because I mean, they're not there just to observe and enjoy they are there to sort of listen and learn as well so i started these um artist clinics uh, last september and i did them every month i'd either hire out a space or i i got close with um shoreditch radio and they'd offer me a sort of a room where i could have small groups of people and that was not only a good way for me to meet people but also to solidify my learning experiences and just um, and gain this confidence. I think it's always a game of self-confidence. And, you know, the more confident you can be, um, the more you're going to attract people and the more people are going to want to work with you because that's what it is at the end of the day. If they just think that you're not overly confident, you know, obviously you can admit where you don't know stuff and and refer people on, you know, if there's... Oh, there's the tendency, I think, when you start out to take on anybody and everybody and and like you said though that's good because you get it you're going to get through this 3 years sort of quicker i think sometimes and you do learn through failures and so on which is an important part of it but i think it is it is good to have like a in your mind an avatar of who you really want to approach because then you can work back from that and then you can gear your marketing towards targeting that specific mindset of person because you i mean you're just trying to get people's attention at the end of the day. That's what the marketing is. And then as soon as you've got their attention, then you can follow them up. You can call them, you know, you can send them an email, you can take them to a workshop for free. And I think having these bits of free information or free experiences or you know, free something that's really in their interest is a great way of, of getting um, marketing. Was that the question? I can't even know. I don't even know now.
0: I was asking, you know, what you were doing and what, yeah. To- you're having yeah marketing is an area that a lot of singing teachers um lack confidence in Mm. or have negative perception about Mm.
1: yeah I think that's the thing it's this negative perception as well I've I'm not from a musical family per se which is a good thing and a bad thing because my mum uh you know set up her own business and I've always been around that so I've been around people who are naturally entrepreneurial and, and they do sort of make you think in a slightly different way um you know i think some people some coaches might think it's a bit what in their early stages disin you know disgen, disingenuous to go out there and pitch yourself and think business-minded because i mean you're in an arts industry where you think people are always just focused around the music and the talent and the this and the that but there can't be any music and talent if you've got no way of presenting that to somebody and, and, you know, thinking about things in a marketing and business sense. So I think the quicker you could embrace that early on, actually you don't need to be the best coach in the world to start off with. You just need to get in front of people and, and learn and also, you know, do courses and, and, you know, embrace your own limitations and realize them for what they are. They're not something, you know, I had a bit of a complex before I signed up to Bass thinking, you know, am I am I a phony coach? Am I just somebody who's not staying on top of their? I think because listening to um, Naked Vocalist podcast, they bring on so many experts. You're just like, how do they get to this point? And then when you start to peel back the Satsuma, and you get into the <laughs> you get into the facts, and you realise that actually, you know, they've done all these things and they've been in that position, and and just embrace it for what level you're at, and don't try and rush things. Like you're on this journey. There's no successful destination your success is this approach that you're building up your whole life mm. um and there's so much in mindset nowadays that i think can really unlock your capacity as a coach and a, and a you know an entrepreneur a business person whatever you want to call it
2: yeah it's
0: interesting i had a conversation yesterday with or this week with a teacher who was worried about the fact that she wasn't the expert that she should, oh. thought she should be and she was saying well you know Uh, maybe I should be sending my students to these other people because they're more expert. And I said, yes, but at one stage they weren't. And Mm. and also, you know, how are you going to learn? And actually if your student is happy learning from you, then Mm. you need to embrace that. And then I started to say, you know, this was my journey. And in fact, I wasn't doing any of the sort of stuff that you're doing mm. for a lot longer. You know, she started doing it sooner than I did mm. in my career. I haven't been at this level for a long yeah. time. Um, it took me maybe six years to really embrace the idea of becoming or being somebody that might actually be seen as a good teacher. Mm which is why I think BAST is like it is and why I want to encourage other teachers Mm. to follow this. It's like I feel like my journey is constantly evolving and learning and there's always new things out there or different ideas to bring in, you know, and amalgamate with what we're doing and uh, it's just me. It's just this constant in-motion process. Mm. Um, But I've realised that actually all of that can be embraced and you can still learn a lot from me but I'm not saying I know everything in fact I'm saying I only know a very small part hmm. um, but I'm really excited to be able to introduce you to different ideas and yeah maybe you'll go and find out something and then come back and share it with yeah. us
1: yeah exactly
0: got that open mind um because I think um, you know, traditionally, when I came through a particular methodology, I felt like I was restricted to just
1: that's that the only way, right? It's the highway <laughs> of knowledge, yeah. Yeah.
0: and that's kind of what we were told uh, and mm. encouraged. And and I wanted to stay loyal to
1: you know again part of their marketing strategy. Now <laughs>
0: well, no, I realise that now, when I was beginning, it yeah, was sort of like it had just opened up my. Mm. My ability and my view and my my skill set and my understanding of voice. So I thought it was amazing, which it, it was. You know, it got me a long way.
1: But and again, the market then was people who had no knowledge. Yeah. So as soon as this one thing comes along, it's like, wow, this is this is. There's nothing else like it, and you you got to go on that at the time, haven't you?
0: And it has. A contemporary vocal pedagogy has changed significantly since when I first
1: started. No, I'm sure. I'm sure.
0: First of all, we always reference the classical. Now I feel like we've got our own pathway. Yes. And there may be some things from classical, but for the most part, there isn't. You know, it's,
1: and, that's, and that's a big thing for me as well, is, is um, coming from this background of purely classical, or not purely, but heavily centred around classical teachers. I think that was the norm. So all, all the teachers, you know, they, they used those techniques and sometimes they weren't appropriate. Because you don't always need to sing, you know, like an opera singer or or, or whatever. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's, it, that's what's really encouraging about about bass and, and indeed yeah. the modern era of um, vocal folkology and pedagogy is that it's mm. it, it is. I mean, I think also what was interesting what you said about the person you spoke to earlier this week okay. and who thought they weren't expert. But, you know, the definition of an expert is somebody that knows more than you and they know more than their student.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's of, there are levels of expert and really it's all of these different coming together of different minds. That's the expert sort of, that's where the expertise is. It's in this amalgamation of all these different um, backgrounds because one thing, one area of teaching will apply to one student and will not to another. So, you know, I think what, what I said with with the marketing, like you kind of want to be known for one thing. But I think if you just only hammer home that route, you're gonna quickly get left behind because the next load of coaches are diversifying what they're knowing. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, suddenly speech level singing is seen as a kind of outdated form. And if that's all you did now, you wouldn't necessarily get the response that you might want as a as a vocal coach with with your clients and so on. So on the one hand, you kind of got to balance what you're learning with what you're marketing. I think if you generalise with the way you're marketing stuff, there's too much option for the, for the person. They don't understand what you are offering, what is in it for them, what do you do specifically. Um, so you've got, you've got to, you've got, it's a balance, isn't it? You, you've, you've got to develop both sides of the cookie, really.
0: And then the other thing is that you don't have to stay there forever.
1: Yeah.
0: So you can, and you can target certain markets in, for different things that you do, mm. which is definitely what I do um what sort of resources do you use to help you with your uh either your business or your teaching or your music industry Mm. or maybe all of the above you know what what have have been some really useful resources for you
1: my biggest resource i think um is people Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and i think it's having a really active network of of different people i work with you know, recording engineers, producers, and managers, and other vocal coaches, and I mean, the, the music industry is this really—it's um, constantly evolving and, and and changing. Or at least that's the way it feels now to to me. And there's so there's so much room for opportunity that you kind of the best way to gauge that is by having a resource that is actually a network of people because they can point you onto things or they can sort of open your mind. I mean, the, the, the first thing I, when I started to have this sort of revelation, that I wanted to do my own thing and be my own business and, and you know, set about carving my own path in the industry was when I worked at the recording studio and I was also, uh, they took me on as an artist relations, which meant I would go out and find clients to, you know, artists, whoever wanted to record and bring them to the, the studio. And then you know put them in front of a producer and and try and you know be a connector and these and you know to from A to B in the studio and so on. And so part of that experience was going out to as many quote unquote networking events, some would be um talks, some would be just like, you know, uh drinks or something like this. And but there was one talk that really struck a chord with me again, which was. Uh, this one by this guy called Tommy Darker it was um, which they no longer exist but the, it was called Musicpreneur and he went up to sort of set up a business in it actually but it was this idea of of thinking of yourself as a musician as as an entrepreneur and I, I don't know I just feel like that that was what that was, that was like a key that opened up the the way that I looked at my resources you know I wasn't Turning to books, so I was looking to go out and, and network with people and, and find these opportunities because I think that's the entrepreneurial spirit—is really grabbing these opportunities and making them and not waiting for them.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: there's and there's there is an, an expectation I think from modern people from sorry the modern generation that opportunity will will kind of come on your lap and that you don't have to fight for it, that you don't have to really work for it. Um, and surrounding myself with other people as a resource has made me, has, has given me that perspective that's made me realize, right, I need to do X, Y, and Z and, and just having that mentor a, a approach. And that's, what's been great about the Bass thing is because I felt like I've had so many business uh, mentors and sort of on the music production side I've known loads of producers and so on. But now it's like some, you know, someone who's actually in my realm of, of, of doing the coaching thing and doing the development and, and that's where i really see myself now to be really passionately involved is trying to you know create a level of service for somebody that i'm working with that's not just on the coaching that is about their career because that's you know that's what that's why they're doing it and well some of the, not everybody some people do it for just for pleasurable reasons but a lot of the clients i work with are, are you know trying to create a career for themselves out of it and create some create some sustainability so part of me thinks i'm just cheating if i'm just giving them the vocal lessons at a healthy rate and, and they're not considering how that's going to be a sustainable thing for them. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I, tan- if a tangent or not. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so
0: have you got any questions for me?
1: Yeah, I've, I've got a few. Um, well, firstly, we sort of touched on, you've got a, a MIDI board, a MIDI keyboard behind you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So something I have started doing recently, as my sort of names got out there, and I've been able to find people from further afield, is doing online lessons.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I know there's another person I did my course with who's thinking about doing it as well. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing a few, and luckily the person I've been working with has got the backing tracks, and I'm able to, um, you know, just do bits and bobs with them. There. But how do you set up that 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 session so that there so that you get that non-lag sort of to the point because you can't really accompany people as they sing i've tried that doesn't way no.
2: so
0: first of all i need to be confident that the singer has a good ear uh, mm. or is familiar with the scales yeah uh sometimes we have to work on that and other times um you know they're they're pretty they're very competent and so i don't have to worry about it because as yeah. you said you're not going to be able to accompany with them mm. so i We'll play the scale. I'll demonstrate the scale, and then I'll just play the chord. Yeah. And then change the chord as they ascend and descend through the the different scales. Uh, if they're singing, um, then I may get them to play the accompaniment at their end as they sing, and then watch for my signs. Yeah. Uh, so I'll I'll tell them you know I'm going to go like that if I want to stop or like that if I want to continue. Um, Or I will ask them to sing a cappella.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, So it just depends on the situation. And also, of course, there's some artists I work with and they accompany themselves. So I'll do the session in a studio where they're in the studio and they've got their own keyboard or their guitar. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, it's not, from a performance point of view, it's going to be more challenging, but Mm. you can work your way around it. I also tend to have shorter lessons. Right. Uh, Now, I used to teach half-hour lessons. I don't teach half-hour lessons anymore. Uh, So now I do one-hour sessions. But because of the way my sessions have changed from straight-ahead technique and um, application too much more um, sort of holistic. Yeah. I can do an hour now and I won't do an hour of technique online um,
2: or or even
0: technique and application. I tend to make that half an hour. um, Mm. But usually the online sessions now are a combination of different things. So definitely in the early days uh, I would do it half an hour. When I first started, actually, I used to teach over the phone
1: wow yeah so how, how quaint <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um what it made me do or what it did for me was that it really made my ears yeah better.
1: laser awesome. sensitive mm,
0: so i could really hear when someone's larynx was coming up or uh, as well mm. as obviously if the vowel was changing going too wide or whatever it was doing um but i could also hear start to hear tension um so I'd say, you know, what's your mouth doing? Uh, what's happening around your throat and neck area? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you noticed there's any tension in your face? So I'd um, basically because I'm quite um, empathic so I can feel and I think a lot of singing teachers say that they can feel it when someone's larynx going up like because their larynx goes up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we're used to imitating, aren't we? And that's yeah. how we've learned. So if you can tune into that side of yourself, that does actually give you another sense to be working with, as well mm. as your eyes and your ears. Uh, so, yeah, I started on the phone. I didn't even see, see the person. In fact, I had a young guy that I worked with for a year before I met him face-to-face, and I got him through... Two transitions, he'd gone also from being a voice soprano and he was struggling to get into, into his new voice. And, mm. um, yeah, it was a year before I physically met him because he was in Scotland and I was down in London. And we managed to, uh, to really progress his voice wow. significantly and that was without any visual. But when I got onto Skype, I was like, oh, thank goodness, I can see them now. It's definitely yeah. easier to be able to visualise somebody. I tend to now use Zoom, uh, yes. which I unfortunately you have to pay for, not unfortunately, but, you know, it is something you have to pay for because I find Skype less re- reliable. Mm. Zoom has a better quality, less lag time, yes. and uh, the sound quality is a lot better.
1: Just more business, isn't it? Less social. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I I, um, and and if- you can record as
1: well. Which
0: is brilliant. Well, I yeah. knew I found a way to record with Skype as well. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's what I do. Um, and as far as I, so, different people have different setups. I mean, I I have a photo from when I was really sort of into this, and I had my keyboard, I had my iPad, I had my. Um, desktop and i had my laptop and i can't remember why but i was using all of these things (laughs) Mm. you know and and obviously then also the uh yes and that was that was what was involved in my skype lesson um and i remember uh, taking a photo of this going this is ridiculous
2: yeah yeah
0: singing but it's so techie
2: yeah
0: Um, yeah that's that's one of the things that i do and i actually have a set of um the scales that I've just recorded uh, doing, done an audio track of uh, of the common scales that we that I tend to use which I also give the student access to so if I want them to actually sing it with the scale okay I have it at their end
1: right, that's good so they can play play in spores and stuff like that that's a good idea. I'm, like, I'm just going to write that down actually:
0: mm. <laughs> yeah, I probably do a slightly mm. different approach. When I'm working with the technique, with more short mm. scales, um, yeah, much more intensive. And in fact, I remember actually saying to somebody once, "I prefer teaching this way because it is mm. more intense, and I find yeah. that the intensity actually progresses the voice quite." Mm. Soon. Yeah. before. And this was mainly to do with my style of teaching back then as well. I was just doing scale after scale after scale. But I couldn't do that as much on Skype. And I know that it made a difference to the singer's progress. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons why I changed my style of delivery of scales as well and slowed things down and became more specific to work. Areas you know, just working maybe three or four notes at a time.
1: S- sort of like a less is more. Like when when you're online, it's like you had there was less for them to focus on, and actually they learned more as a result because there was just one or two things to take away.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Focus. Yeah.
1: I think I think that was kind of my next. Well, uh, two more questions. One is, um, how do you stay, or how have you stayed on top of your own vocal development mm. as a singer? Um, obviously, we're teaching people all the time how to improve their own vocals, but...
0: So when I was working with technique, I had very regular lessons. Yeah. And also SLS, the one thing that I really... Well, there's many things I actually really appreciated about SLS, but um, one of the specific ones was that because we had to demonstrate our teaching um, and also part of the... uh, staying licensed was that you had Mm. to have X amount of lessons a year. Right. So that was part of the license um, process. Mm. So my voice was in tip-top shape when I was doing SLS. Uh, And I had, you know, a good range. Um, And I was singing up through uh, probably into F6, G6 uh, very easily. Right. Right. Um, and I could demonstrate everything, it was mm. not a problem. Um, but when I s- stopped being part of the organisation and started to focus on other things with my business, mm. I started to neglect my voice. Mm. And so I started to lose that top end. Mm. I just wasn't keeping up with it, and I don't use That's it. Practice, I, don't, I don't need it. Yeah. And I don't perform anymore either. So, yeah. if I'm really honest right now, my voice is not in great fit form. I can play everything I need to. Yeah. Uh, and if I had to go and perform, I'd probably need to work on my voice for about three weeks to get mm. it back into um, a, a fit state to deal yeah. with performance. Because my stamina isn't there anymore either.
1: Yeah, true. I'm not using
0: true. it that level. So I, I don't know. I probably could make it through a gig,
1: mm. but I
0: reckon I'll, I'd be hoarse, you know, or sore or my voice would be compromised the next day. Yeah,
1: because it's a practice thing, isn't it, at the end of the day, right? The length of... Uh,
0: It's stamina. It's building up the stamina of the muscles and the lamina propria to the gigging state because, you know, you're singing constantly for a couple of hours um, at high range, especially as a female, because you're singing, um, you know, obviously quite high frequencies that you don't, Talk in, or that I certainly don't talk in. So, if I don't build that back up, those muscles are going to get fatigued, the lamina propria will get probably a bit swollen. And I could well imagine uh, that that's what would happen, that I'd end up being probably tired, vocally fatigued the next day if I didn't start doing some stamina work before. What's different about now is that I can get in there very quickly. Because yeah, I know yeah. what to do with my voice. I know the exercises that take me there. And I have way more tools than I did when I was gigging. Um, mm. I just don't use it anymore.
1: Yeah, no, I see what you mean. There's there's a relevance, isn't there, I guess. Is it relevant to have that, that range now? Well, maybe not.
0: <laughs> well, when I was teaching technique, it was relevant because I was working with singers that were singing up those high ranges for females. And mm. for me to be able to demonstrate going through that you know the high C's and into uh, I wouldn't say that high Gs were comfortable for me but I have a I had a lot of students who they were able to get through um definitely through up to the high C this which is the C seven is it four five six no C six isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um and Uh, I wanted to be able to demonstrate that I could do that Mm. as opposed to just tell them in theory.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: And when I was working at ACM um, and I was doing technique, I would be saying to these students about getting their control over their voice and being able to sing whatever part of their range they needed to, da, 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 da. And then also what would happen if you could sing up there, you'd write different songs and all this sort of stuff. And if I wanted to have them you know to get credibility I needed to be able to do it mm. and it made a lot of difference to me you know you could see in the students that when I went blah you know and I did it all all the stuff they were I was talking about in theory they went oh okay and I would always say I didn't used to always be able to do that mm. that was something I worked into my voice yeah so, yes, and because my focus has now become much more about uh, vocal health and um, I'm working on the magazine a lot more, I'm doing mm. a lot more of the teacher training, uh, I haven't needed it as much. Um, mm. So, if you know, it's not the ideal, but there's only so much you can do.
1: <laughs> yeah, true, very true, very true. Um,
0: if I wanted to go back to singing, I'd be going back to having my training.
1: Mm. So... What has been the the main shift, do you think, then, in the way that uh, singing teaching has evolved? Like, if there was, you know, one core aspect that fundamentally before was ignored that now is like the hottest topic, what would it be? Well, for me, yes,
0: uh, it's definitely the embracing that singing technique for contemporary is different to classical.
1: Right. So before it was just there was one way, and it worked for everything. And now it's the
0: worked for everything. The yeah. other way was classical.
1: Yeah.
0: And I knew that it was it, it wasn't right for me because mm. I classical for seven years and I mm. couldn't sing through my my transition. I couldn't sing with a that chestier resonance mm. up, up past B B natural, B four. Um, and I knew that other people could, but I didn't know that there was that you could learn it, not until I encountered SLS. I didn't know that there was a way of training it into your voice, uh, which is why SLS was so exciting for me because suddenly now I realised actually I can exercise my voice in a particular way that will help develop that area. Yeah. Um, so I was very frustrated and it, and it was one of the reasons that I... I am where I am now is because I was constantly searching for someone who could teach me to do that.
2: Mm.
0: I wasn't satisfied with the fact that this was the only way to do it, having class. Mm. The other thing which I think's also changed uh, is embracing the fact that actually um, one particular methodology is not necessarily right for everybody. Mm. And that we need to be much more individualized, you know look at that person, look at their physiology, look at the genre that they're singing in, consider their personality as well, um, what they want, you know, becoming much more student-centred, for instance, but uh, also genre and and identity-centred as well. So that's that's been definitely a change over the last 24 years, or well, actually probably longer than that because I started... Um, my singing journey, you know, when I was in my twenties.
1: Mm. Yeah. It seems to be the time when most people Oh, you started your singing journey in your twenties?
0: Yes. So I sang I played instruments. Yeah. Right when I was nineteen.
1: What were you, what were your instruments? I
0: was a clarinetist.
1: Oh, I kinda of thought of that. Got that vibe. <laughs> um
0: and I could have gone to music college but I didn't think that it was a real job.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I actually... It's still a, not. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Really, I really wanted to be a nurse. So I went into nursing. yeah. And I oh, went, right, yeah. sang at church and, and at school. I was in all the productions and always sang, you know. Yeah. But I didn't think that was the real job either, you know, no. less even, less so than the clarinet. Because with the clarinet, I knew my teacher was the uh, principal clarinetist in the, you know, symphony orchestra, so I knew it was a real job and mm. he was the teacher and so I thought, okay, I could see that that was a job. But singing, I was like, how is that a real job? Mm. So in, in, even though I enjoyed singing and did a lot of singing all the way through my teens um, and even in my early 20s, you know, I would always be singing at people's weddings because they'd find out that I could sing, mm. uh, sing at parties and if there was any singing to be done i was doing it but it wasn't really until my mid-20s that i decided to go and learn Mm. so i started quite late Um, and that you know that that had issues with it because i lacked confidence you know as a result thinking that because then when i discovered actually it is a real job and most of these people started when they were very young doing it more seriously um, but yeah, so it was my mid twenties that I started to have singing lessons, and then when I was twenty nine, I decided to actually pursue music as a career. Right. So I came into it quite late.
1: Do you think then that part of this sort of nursing personality then is that always been something you've wanted to include yeah. in your 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 coaching your practice now?
0: Um, I. J- well, it's very interesting you should say that because initially I didn't even think the two were connected. Mm. It was one of my friends who said, you're so lucky to have that nursing uh, and the medical background because when you're teaching a student who's not well or is on a medication, you can answer all these questions and yeah. they're not their voice. I had imagined that once I started my teaching career, then nursing would be just, that would mm. be it. it hadn't occurred to me somehow that I could bring these two things together. Yeah. So um that yeah, it definitely wasn't, And then when I was uh, working with SLS, it wasn't encouraged to bring anything else in. yeah, you were just doing SLS, and that was it, and even though I tended to attract people who had medical issues or health issues, or people would ask me those excuse me those kind of questions, and I'd be able to answer them, I still didn't see for a very long time that this was a, a unique usp that i had
1: yeah exactly yeah uh
0: and so yeah probably i didn't really delve into that until 2011 which was around the time that actually i started BAST.
1: okay yeah Which, again, is kind of a caring nursing capacity, isn't it? Let's take all these people in and help them.
0: (laughs) I was very reluctant to do teacher training because I thought, who am I? What do I know? You know, I'm not an expert. And um, it was because I had a bunch of students from um, ACM come to me and saying, we're just about to graduate, but we realised we're going to end up doing some teaching. Mm. And we don't know how to do that because nobody taught us.
1: Who were those people? What do you mean who are the people that came up to you are they part of bass now or are they, are they the te- were they the te- well, they people that became teach
0: yeah so yeah. I, I just did a five-hour course for them yeah i called it getting started as a singing teacher okay and um before i'd even finished well first okay. of all i realized five hours wasn't enough mm. <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, yeah that was, was like oh my gosh you know <laughs> um, and then I had already people ringing me up before I'd finished saying, I heard you're doing the teacher training course and I'd really like to do that. And so I then had another bunch come through and within a very short time it kind of got around and then I made it a 10-hour course. Well, it went from five to six hours, then to 10 hours and then to 20 hours. And then within, I think within not that year but the year after I had Trainers approaching me, or potential trainers saying, "We'd really like to teach your course," mm. and that's when I brought on Ian, Kaya, and um, and Lisa, yeah. and then both joined us later. Uh, and so the whole thing kind of was not planned at all, mm. um, and it came out of basically these students asking me if they uh, if there was anything I could do to help them. And yes, some of them are still involved in the um, community.
1: But you supplied a demand, didn't you, without even knowing there was one. It just sort of of knocked on your door. Hey, Lynn, we need the help on this. There's 20 other people like it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But what I realised was that I could then create a community of the kind of teachers that I wanted to hang
2: out with. Mm. Yeah.
0: And that's what I love about BEST, is that it is full of people, the same kind of people like me, who are curious, who are broad, you know, who realise that you can't just focus on one end you need to be a lot more broad spectrum uh who who aren't intimidated by learning um who who really want to help their student um sing better and um be the best that they can be Mm. um and it's it's not i don't really know anyone in the bass community that's egocentric Mm. but i had encountered i have encountered in the teaching world a lot of people who are like that and I definitely don't want best to be like that.
1: Yeah. There's um, no there's no one standout look at me sort of person.
0: Everybody's got their different things. Like yeah. look at you, you've got an amazing amount of stuff to bring into your teaching and to share yeah. with everybody else. Uh Just because you're not an experienced teacher doesn't mean you don't already have expertise in other areas. Mm. That's the other thing too is that we weren't really encouraged in that way when when I was working with SLS, you know, to bring in nobody ever really recognised your other skills. Mm. Because the other thing was that, um, you know, I have an education degree. So when I did finally take up music, I went and did music education and I spent four years in education. So I have a huge lot a lot of understanding about the learning and teaching process yeah,
1: teaching practice yeah mm.
0: that was never taken that was never taken into consideration or taken advantage of back
1: in those which days. seems like strange doesn't it because really it's like it's in the title teacher training you know yeah. for, for singing teacher
2: yeah. you can't
1: have the singing without the teacher because that's the thing as well there's there's people who are singers but not necessarily teachers you know? and there's there's people who are really good at their profession as a as a a whatever as even an artist but doesn't mean that they're necessarily the right personality or they've got the right skills to be able to impart that knowledge in a way that's going to be you know taken on board and and because that you want to equip your students to be able to deal with life right that's kind of part of it yeah
0: it's life some of it's life skills for sure Mm. especially because sometimes you work with quite young people as well yeah Mm. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up there. It's been a really lovely conversation.
1: Yeah, it has very much.
0: Hours on end. Um, yeah. I look forward to seeing you around in the community and maybe sure. we'll get you to come on and do some, a webinar about uh, helping singers in when they're uh, going into the recording studio.
1: Yeah, That's sure. I'd be happy to do that.
0: Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much and I'll see you later.
1: All right. See you, then. Bye, Bast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>